Brothers and sisters, welcome to the worship service this afternoon. A special welcome to all the visitors who are worshipping with us in church this afternoon or via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. Classis North will be convened, the Lord willing, by the Free Reformed Church of Mount Nusura on Friday the 28th of October. In order to fill the vacancy for two deacons, Consistory has nominated the brothers R. De Fris, T. Everts, C. Klein and J. Vermeulen. And in order to fill the vacancy for four elders, Consistory has nominated the brothers S. Brand, D. Pot, W. Spiker, E. Tahart, K. Van Dyke, M. Visser and R. Zanman. The election meeting for the office bearers is scheduled to take place immediately after the morning worship service on Sunday the 16th of October. Next week Sunday, the Lord willing, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper in the morning service. This afternoon's service will be led by Reverend Poppy. And before we commence the worship service, let us sing from hymn 45, the verses 1, 2 and 3. Brothers and sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord.
As the people of God, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you in peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise to our God. We're going to sing from Psalm 122 about the joy of worshiping him. Psalm 122 verse 1. Let us now make a profession of our faith, and let's do so this afternoon with the words of the Apostles' Creed as set to music in hymn one.
Let's now call upon the Lord in prayer and let's ask him for his blessing. Almighty God, dear Father in heaven, we come before your throne of grace, Lord, because you are our help. You are the one who created us. You're the one who who helps us in life. You're the one who, who promised us glory. You are the one who lives in our hearts with your Holy Spirit. And you've given us a glorious future through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we can look to you. The truth of our lives is, is that we need your help. We are those who, who don't have the power to create the life that we want. We can't do the most important things in life, Lord. We're dependent upon you for that. Even daily life, food and drink, and health and, and strength, and shelter and safety... They all come to us out of your hand. We humble ourselves before you and we thank you for these things. And then the other things, Lord, the, the gifts of faith, the, the knowledge of who Christ is, the understanding of what you've done for us in Christ, these are all gifts of your spirit and we thank you for that. <coughs> we now come to you this afternoon, Lord, because we wish to worship you. We wish to honor you for who you are and for what you've done. It is our joy to, to know you and to grow in a relationship with you. Pray that you would please bless us through the proclamation of the gospel. Pray that you would build up our faith in you. This afternoon we get to hear about the, the special gift you've given us in the sacraments, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And we ask that as we contemplate what you've done for us, that we may be strengthened in our faith, and that we may be built up in a relationship with you. Please. Give us your spirit. Please draw us near to you. And please show us your love, Father. And do it for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon I may preach God's word to you concerning the the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's given us his supper and he, he tells us that not everyone's invited, but that we need to honestly examine our hearts before we come to the table. In connection with that, I thought it's appropriate that we first read together from the scriptures. We're going to read together from 1 Corinthians 11, the verses 17 to 33. So if you want to read along in your guest Bible, you can find that on page 1 Corinthians 11, we start reading at verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So far. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 86, verses 1 and 2.
This afternoon we'll consider the biblical teaching concerning the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We'll do so by looking at what the church has also summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 30 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that on page 545 of your Book of Praise. Lord's Day 30, the first question there asks, what is the difference between the Lord's Supper and the Papal Mass? The Lord's Supper testifies to us, first, that we have complete forgiveness of all our sins through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. And second, that through the Holy Spirit, we are grafted into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and this is where he wants to be worshipped. But the Mass teaches, first, that the living and the dead do not have forgiveness of sins through the suffering of Christ unless he is still offered for them daily by the priests. And second, that Christ is bodily present in the form of bread and wine and there is to be worshipped. Therefore, the Mass is, is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and an accursed idolatry. Who are to come to the table of the Lord? those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins, and yet trust that these are forgiven them, and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life. But hypocrites and those who do not repent eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Are those also to be admitted to the Lord's Supper who by their confession in life show that they are unbelieving and ungodly? No, for then the covenant of God would be profaned and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such persons by the keys of the kingdom of heaven until they amend their lives. Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 61, the verses 1 and 2. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus, if the Lord is willing, then next week Sunday, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I would say it's a really special celebration. We get to sit at table together with Christ. We get to be reminded of everything that Christ has done for us. God wants to remind you that he loves you and that he's willing to forgive you for all your sins. That he's not angry with you but that he delights in you as one of his children. Well, the question becomes, who gets to share? That's really going to be the focus of the sermon this afternoon. Who gets to come to the table of the Lord? Well, our Father teaches us that not everyone has communion with Christ. Not everybody in this world believes in Jesus Christ and has fellowship with him. And so it's only his people who get to come to his table. Well, confession, the, the question then becomes, who does that include? And our confession summarizes the biblical teaching by saying that it's those who hate their sin, those who believe that Jesus Christ forgives them, and those who desire to, to live out of that by 
amending their life by strengthening their faith. And then it says that we all have a responsibility to examine our own hearts to make sure that we're in that place. And then the elders also have a responsibility to have a good oversight over who attends. And so if you, if you think about that, brothers and sisters, it raises a few questions. The first question is, do you hate your sin? Do you recognize your sin for what it is? Are you honest about that with yourself and, and with the Lord? And do you honestly free, flee from that sin? And then the second question is, well, we have a number of visitors, quite a number of visitors who, who are regular visitors to our congregation, and, you know, what often happens, they, they come to join us. Some of these people, many of these people, actually, they don't know Christ. They don't have a relationship with God. And so when they first come to join us, then they're, they're willing to listen. And over time, they come to believe in Christ. And they recognize that they're sinners. And they fall short. And they trust Christ to forgive all their sins. And so they believe the gospel, that Christ came to forgive them, and that they belong to Jesus Christ. And that God's not angry with them anymore. And then the very next question they ask is they say, well, can I come to the table? Can I, can I fellowship in the Lord's Supper? Well, how are we supposed to answer that question? How are the elders supposed to make a judgment about when a person is permitted to join? <clears throat> we're going to take a look at both these questions. We're going to do it under this theme, the Lord invites to his table those who have faith in Christ. We'll see in the first place the need for faith, and secondly, the examination of this faith. So first, the need for faith. Who does Christ invite to his table? Our confession says it's those who truly hate their sin, those who trust Christ to forgive it, and those who flee from it. Well, maybe I can ask you, is, is that you, brothers and sisters? Do you hate your sin? Do you flee from it? You also trust that, that God will forgive it for Jesus' sake? You know, hating sin is not normal. It's not natural. Our natural thing is to love sin. It's normal for us to commit all sorts of sin. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2. The very first verses, he says that we're dead in sin. And he says that at one time... We used to live in the passions of our flesh and carry out the desires of our body and mind. And he's saying, that's normal. If you want to know what's normal in a person's life, that's normal. Or in Romans 7, the Apostle Paul, he, he talks about that. He says, you know, he says, in my mind, I can want to do what's right. But he says, I don't do the things that I want. He says, so often, I do those things that I don't want to do. What's natural, what's normal for me is to sin against God is to pursue my, my sinful lusts and desires. It is as Jeremiah says in chapter 17, verse 9, our hearts are deceitful above all else. And you know how it is, brothers and sisters. You know, your heart is really fickle. You know that having intimate communion with God is the greatest thing in the world. But do you think that you could get out of bed 10 minutes earlier to actually have some time for devotions before you rush out the door? Or do you ever wonder why it is? You know, you sit there in an evening and all night long you watch this movie, a rapt attention for watching the movie. And then the minute the movie's over and, and you go to bed, 
you know, it's five minutes later and you're, you all of a sudden have this profound exhaustion that comes over you. And you don't have the ability to string two coherent thoughts together any longer as you're trying to pray to God. Well, that's typical. Our hearts are deceitful. They lead us astray. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 3, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil. Well, are you aware of that depravity? And do you hate your sin? Do you, do you fight against it? The confession says, do you desire to amend your life? That's actually a, a prerequisite for coming to the table. If you want to come to the table to receive the assurance of the forgiveness of sins, God's saying one of the prerequisites is that you hate that sin, that you do what's in your power to get away from it. Well, most people, they're not in that space. There's this raging river of evil in people's hearts, and most people are not even aware of it because they're not trying to fight against it. It's only when you try to amend your life, it's only when you resist sin that you realize the power of it. And you realize the nature of spiritual warfare, that there's a powerful struggle that's going on within you. Now, the reason why it's so hard to resist sin is because it's deceptive, because it's pleasurable. Now, the devil, he, his mode of operation is to deceive you. He never tells you the truth. He never tells you the truth about pride, that pride estranges you from God, that it's horrifying to God because you're taking glory for yourself that belongs to the one who created you, the one who, who enabled you. He doesn't tell you the truth about greed. That greed is putting your trust in something that's empty, something that can never do the important things in life for you. When you set your heart on wealth, then, then in the end you, you realize it can't help you with the most important things, and it's really quite an empty pursuit in life. The Lord, he often warns you against that kind of deception. There's a lot of places in his word. Hebrews 3.13, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. God's saying you need to help each other so that you don't fall for this deceitfulness of sin. Or in Titus 3, verse 3, Paul says that before Christ freed us, we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, and slaves of various passions and pleasures. Sin is deceitful, and it leads us astray. You know the biggest danger we face, brothers and sisters? Instead of fleeing sin and amending our life, the danger is that we relax. You know, we never really crystallize the thought in our own minds. It's never totally clear to us. But it can easily happen that somewhere deep in your heart that you think to yourself, you know, I'm in. I'm a Christian. I'm part of the church. I worship God. I come to church every Sunday. I serve in various ways. I'm one of God's people. And the next thing is that you get lazy. You start relaxing. And you become lukewarm in your love for the Lord Jesus. Then you go through the motions of worship, but your heart doesn't really glorify God. 
Then you pray, but your prayers aren't really a pouring out of your heart to God and seeking his help, but they become these pat phrases. Then you hear a sermon that calls out your sin, and for about five minutes you feel guilty about what you're doing. But you know, as soon as you leave the building, and as soon as life carries on, you go right back to the same old lifestyle. The Lord says, he says, if you want to come to my table... He says, then, you need to examine your hearts. You need to understand that you're a sinner. You need to confess that. At root, you need to be honest about it. And then beyond that, he says, you need to flee from it. That's a repeated call to scripture. You have to get away from sin. You don't tolerate it, but you get away from it. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Or 1 Timothy 6.10, he warns us against the love of money, and the Lord says, flee from these things. Or in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee from youthful passions. The Lord says you are to engage in spiritual warfare. You are to resist sin. You are to put it out of your life. In Ephesians 6.10, he calls us to engage in spiritual warfare, to put on the full armor of God. He says you need to believe the truth. You need to, to do what's right, to walk in righteousness. You need to arm yourself with the knowledge of salvation. You need to have the shield of faith. Believe God and believe his promises. You need to pray in the spirit at all times. And so there's, there's a calling to engage in warfare against the devil and his demons. To stand before the Lord. At the end of the day, the calling is to stand firm. And to that end, the Lord also calls us to watch and to pray. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is weak, is willing but the flesh is weak. Or in Luke 12, 15, take care. The other translation, watch out and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Or in Luke 21, 34, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Or finally in the words 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And so here's the deal, brothers and sisters, tomorrow, or sorry, next week, Sunday, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. You're invited to come to the table of the Lord, to meet together with him and his people, and to celebrate the gifts of who Christ is and what he's done for you. But the Lord says that this week, before you come, you need to examine your hearts. You need to confess your sin, to be deeply honest about it. And you need to renounce that sin. You need to fight against it. It's not just about confessing. It's not enough that you, that you confess your sins and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. The Lord also, he says, he says, I'll give you my spirit so that you, that you resist that sin. And that more and more you live in holiness before me. And that's the calling of this week as well, that you, that you have an honest desire to put sin out of your life, that you pray to God for his help, and that you strengthen yourself with the word, that you ask God and you trust him to watch your life so that you not give in to temptation. You know, if you do that, brothers and sisters, if you, if you seek to know your sin, to resist it, to fight against it, and the Lord's Supper becomes this incredible celebration. And God invites you to his table. 
And he says, I want to assure you of my love for you. You know, we each have these besetting sins. We each have these sins that we struggle with. That day after day or month after month, they come back at us in different ways at different times. And they're really humiliating. And then the Lord, he, he says, I want to encourage you in that. I want to help you with that. I want to, to assure you that I, that I will forgive you. And that I will give you my spirit. And I will strengthen you for, this, for the battle in the coming days and weeks. And so he... He calls us to engage, and then he calls us forward to the table to be assured of his love and of his kindness and his grace towards us. Well, you'll understand then that at the last line of our confession here, it's also, it holds an important warning. It ends off and it says, but hypocrites and those who do not repent eat and drink judgment upon themselves. If we don't fight against sin, if we don't resist it, if we don't hate it, but if we continue to love our sin, if we continue to practice it, then in that situation the Lord says, then you ought not to come to the table. <clears throat> that leads us then to the second point, to the examination of this faith. You know, in our church we have a number of regular visitors who would love to share in the Lord's Supper. Just mentioning a minute ago, they hear the message of the gospel. Maybe six months, maybe a year down the track, they come to believe in Jesus Christ and they'd love to, to share. The question becomes, you know, are they allowed to come to the Lord's table? If they recognize their sins and if they, they trust that Christ is their Savior, then shouldn't they be allowed to attend? Is that not the foundational prerequisite for someone who's a believer? You know, it's a really good question. It's beautiful that we have the opportunity to, to think about that and think that one through. It's important to remember that, that we're not the first people who've ever struggled with this question. This question was asked, it was really a struggle at the time of the Reformation, the Great Reformation in the 1500s. You had many people who came out of the Roman Catholic Church, they realized where the Roman Catholic Church was, was not in accordance with the scripture, and so they became a member of, of the Reformed Church. And then the question that they faced is, well, who should be allowed to become a member? And how do we make that decision about who can join the church and, and who's allowed to participate in the Lord's Supper? The first thing they did is, is they said, well, we, we want to be careful with the practice of the Roman Catholic Church. Because in the Roman Catholic Church, the people, they didn't have their own Bible. They couldn't read the Bible themselves. They, they didn't have, the emphasis was not on growing in faith, but the emphasis at that time was on the church administering grace to the people. So they would teach the people the, the Apostles' Creed, and if you were able to make confession of the Apostles' Creed, then the priest would lay his hands on you, and then you would be confirmed, and after that time, you're allowed to participate in the Eucharist, in the Mass. And then the Reformers thought about that, and they, they kind of said to one another, they said, but it's a confession of faith. It's about faith. Who belongs to the Lord it's those who believe in God, those who trust him, those who know him. And so they said before someone joins the church, they need to know the faith. They need to know who Christ is and what Christ has done. Was it enough to know that, that Jesus died on the cross and that he is your savior? Well, sometimes it is. If you're someone who has special needs, if you have very limited abilities, 
You know, sometimes we have someone who comes to our consistory and they're just very limited in their knowledge. They know, they believe that God made them, that he created them. They understand that they're a sinner and they believe that Jesus Christ came and, and that he came to forgive their sins and they love the Lord Jesus. And they can't confess much more than that. But that's what they know and that's what they believe. And on that basis, as consistory, we love to admit them. You may certainly come to the Lord's table. We delight in your presence. You are one of God's children. And we love to share with you. But then you know, if there's others who, who know more, then the Lord will hold you accountable for more. Now you can ask the question, who is the Lord Jesus? What do you need to believe? You need to believe that Jesus died on the cross. Well, you could ask a, a little further follow-up question. You say, well, who is this Lord Jesus? Do you know him to be true God and true man? Do you understand that the reason he can be your savior is because he shares your nature? Do you understand that Jesus Christ is, is one? The unity that he has within himself is God and man. He's not two separate beings, but he's one being. Do you also understand the nature of his work and what he's done for you? Do you believe that he was born from the Virgin Mary? Do you believe that together with the Father and the Son, or sorry, together with the Father and the Spirit, he forms a trinity? Do you understand the sovereignty of God and salvation? That, that salvation is not something you can do in your own strength, but it's something that God has done for you, and it's a gift he gives you in Jesus Christ? You know, what we love to do with someone is, is to open up a basic understanding of the scriptures for a person. That's what happened in the time of the Reformation. They had these people and they, they started wondering, well, what shall, we, what shall we ask? Well, all the reformers, they started writing catechisms. They wrote the catechism. Luther wrote his, his shorter catechism. You have other confessions of faith and you have other catechisms that were written. And if you look at that time period, there's, there's a half a dozen, there's a dozen of them that were written during that time period in which people gave all sorts of different answers as to... You know, what do we expect of someone who's, who's coming into the faith? Well, over the centuries, the catechism that, that we've really come to love and appreciate is the Heidelberg Catechism. One of the really unique things about the Heidelberg is that it's very personal. It starts off in a really personal way, and the questions are very personal. What is your only comfort in life and death? A bit tricky, these films. So the Catechism, it's a very personal document. And that's one of the reasons that over the centuries, over the last 400 years, we've, we've had the Catechism as, as the confession that's been adopted by many Reformed churches around the world. It's not only us here, but there's, you know, many of the Reformed churches all over the world have come to, to adopt and appreciate it. <clears throat> well, this is, this is something that we wish to, to take time with people, brothers and sisters. Someone new comes to our church, we love to work with them through an understanding of who God is. Who is Christ? What has Christ done for you? What about the sovereignty of God? What does a Christian life look like? You know, what does it mean? What is the place of the commandments? What is the place of prayer? What's the place of all the other things in, among the, the people of God? And how do we manage these things? And then, you know, there's also actually another motive that's at work in us. You know, one of the motives is, is that we want to teach people. But the other motive is we want to give people a bit of time. Because if you are going to join the church, if you're going to become a member of Christ, then the Lord teaches us in his word that part of it is that you renounce sin. 
and that you flee from it, that you hate sin. In the, in the time of the Reformation, they talked about these two things. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus? And do you forsake the world? And that's the second part that we really emphasize as well. When a, when a young person makes a profession of faith, that's one of the questions that they're asked. Do you forsake the world? And oftentimes, we don't, we don't mind taking a bit of time to see what's the truth in a person's life. It's one thing to confess your faith in God, to recognize your sins, confess it, but then it's another thing for that to get worked out, that you understand that sin is offensive, and that you flee from it, that you put it away from you, and that you don't continue in that life of sin. And if you have a history of living in darkness, then many times there's a lot of sin that's become entwined in your life. And it's a process for you to put that sin away from you, and to grow in sanctification, and to grow close to the Lord. And we don't ask that a person's perfect before they join the church. That's not what it's about. We're all work in progress. But we do ask to see that a person's willing to make the commitment to forsake the world. Are they willing to amend their life? And in faith before Christ, do they, do they ask him for help? And do they seek to put sin out of their lives? Well, it's, a, it's kind of the, the thinking that we have in the back of our heads when someone comes to us and they ask to join the church or to come to the Lord's Supper. Well, you might wonder to yourself, you know, is it legit in the meantime to withhold them from the table? Should we not allow people to make their own decisions about when to come to the table? You know, in the first part, we heard about the personal responsibility. We all have to examine our own hearts, whether we believe the promise of God, that we are sinners, but that we are forgiven for Christ's sake. Well, it is true that, that we have this personal responsibility, but then on top of that, the scripture teaches that there's also a, a communal responsibility, a collective responsibility that the Lord puts on the elders of the church. The elders also have a significant responsibility to guard the table. In the first place, the Lord, he talks about it in a general way, talks about how elders have oversight of a congregation and that the elders are to watch over the, the church of God. You read about that in, in a bunch of different passages, Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You have to pay careful attention to the flock of God, Christ says to the elders. Or another passage, Hebrews 13, verse 17 Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. God says he's invested his responsibility into the elders, and the elders have responsibility before him. One day they're going to have to give account to him for how they cared for the congregation. And so the general principle here is that office bearers are responsible for what happens in the congregation. And then the Lord also applies that specifically in the role of discipline. The elders have a significant responsibility to discipline those who continue in sin. You read about that, for example, in Matthew 18. That well-known passage, if someone sins, then you go warn your brother. And if he doesn't listen to you, then you take along a witness. And the two of you warn him. And if he still doesn't listen, then you report it to the elders. And then the elders have a responsibility to meet with that brother. And to admonish him and to call him to task. To call him to repent. And then if he refuses to repent, then the elders, they have to withhold him from the table. 
And if he continues to refuse, they have to excommunicate him, put him outside the church of Christ. If you are not a believer, but if you are a sinner, and if you're living in sin, you, you can't have fellowship with the people of God. You can't come to the Lord's Supper as if nothing's happened. And you can't continue among the congregation as if it doesn't matter. If you want a real-life example of that, you can think of 1 Corinthians 5. The apostle says that there was a brother in the congregation of Corinth who gave himself over to blatant sexual sin. And the tragedy was that no one admonished him. Well, Paul says, that's not right. He says, this man has to be handed over to Satan. That's his way of saying, the man has to be excommunicated. He has to be put outside the church. That's what he explains in verse 13. He's to be expelled from the congregation. And it's in that context that the apostle commands the people in verse 8 to keep the feast, keep the festival. And he's referring there to the Passover. But it's not the Passover. It's the New Testament equivalent to the Passover. It's the Lord's Supper. But then you notice what they have to do first. They are to keep the festival only after they have purged out the old yeast. That is, after they've cut out all malice and wickedness. And what is to remain, he says, is only sincerity and truth. And so what that means for the brother in the congregation who claimed to be a believer, but who slept with his father's wife, is that he wasn't allowed to attend the Lord's Supper. He was even to be put out of the congregation. There you see that the elders, they have a responsibility to admonish those who continue in sin. You know, if you read 1 Corinthians 11 in light of this responsibility, then our practice of having the elders guard the table makes really good sense. 1 Corinthians 11.27, we're told that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. The body and blood of the Lord, the Lord's Supper, it will be profaned if someone who blatantly continues in sin comes to the table and pretends it doesn't matter. Well, since the elders have oversight over the church of God, they have to ensure that such a thing doesn't happen. Well, if you put it together, brothers and sisters, we all have a personal responsibility. This week, you need to examine your heart. Do you recognize your sin? Are you sorry about it? Are you willing to flee from it? You have to repent of it and really put it out of your life. And if you do that, then the Lord's Supper becomes this beautiful celebration. The Lord's going to invite you to the table next week, and he's going to say, I want to assure you that I do love you that I don't hold any anger against you. I see you the same way that I see Jesus Christ. I see you as someone whom I love and in whom I delight. But at the same time, there's, there's also responsibility that you stay away if you're not in that place. And there's responsibility on you, brother elders, that you also withhold from the table those who continue in sin. If you know someone who is sinning, then you have to warn and admonish that person. And if they don't change, then you have to tell that person that they may not attend the Supper of the Lord. Well, it means we, we need to have respect for the role of the office bearers as well, brothers and sisters. These are God's representatives. They're placed by God over you, and they're there for your good, to watch over you so that you may walk in faith before Christ, and that you may be protected from the Lord's anger. Let us 
Respect the authority that they have. Let's open our hearts to them so that they can do a good job in having oversight over us. You should also be assured that, that it is our greatest joy as office bearers, as elders, to invite to the table those who, who do have a genuine faith in Christ. And we have quite a number of people who, who requested to join our church. With a lot of them, we're, we're working through the confessions, we're teaching them about who God is and what God has done. You know, if the Lord's willing, in the next couple of months, we're going to have a number of these people who hope to make a public profession of faith and who hope to, to join our church and to also attend the Lord's Supper. Well, it's a great joy for us as office bearers, great joy of the work that Christ is doing in the hearts of his, his people. Amen. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, let's now sing together from hymn 61, the verses 1 and 2. now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. In our prayer today, we'll remember with gratitude the, the wedding of Callan and Casey Decker. They can be married this past Friday. Thank and praise God for the gift he's given to them. Also remember the Eucalypt camp. The Lord willing, they're going to have camp this coming week, and so we'll pray for a blessing over them, that the, those who have special needs, they may have a blessed time together, and that the Lord would look after them and their carers as well. Let us pray to God. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you are a holy God, that you are set apart from sin. There is no evil in you. You don't delight in it. You never tempt anyone to do evil, but you hate it. And you are, you're dealing with evil. You sent your Son into this world 
to bear the curse of evil so that you could rescue us from our evil and bring us into a new world where we live in you without any evil whatsoever. Father, in the meantime, you also bring down your curse on evil. Those who continue in evil, you, you punish them. You discipline those who are your children so that they may recognize sin and flee from it. You also punish others who, who are not your children, those who hate you and those who reject you. You bring your judgment down on them. You bring a lot of pain and misery into their lives. The life of, of the unbeliever is, is a hard life. And Lord, the, the day is coming where you're going to bring eternal judgment on those who, who have rejected you. In the meantime, you also work things out in your congregation that you, you seek to protect your people from evil. You send the ministers of the gospel to preach the good news about your glory, your goodness, your grace, and to also warn against and to flee from all that is sinful and evil before you. And those who, who resist repenting, you, you bring down your judgment on them and you, you will exclude them from your church and from your kingdom. At the end, you will gather to yourself a people who is completely pure, purified through the blood of your Son. Lord, we pray that we may belong to this people. We ask that you work in our hearts with your Holy Spirit that we may recognize sin, that we can be really honest about it, and that we flee from our sin, that we turn away from it and amend our lives. We confess, Father, we cannot do this in our own strength. Our Lord Jesus Christ has to do it for us. Thank you that he died on the cross, and thank you that he's willing to send his spirit into our hearts to make us into new people. And we pray then, Lord, that you would continue this work in us. In the coming week, please work in us that we, that we resist sin, and that we fight against it. Help us in our families that we're able to talk about these things openly. Help us to go to our office bearers, to confess our sins to the elders, and they will pray over us and you will forgive us. Help us, Lord, to, to seek their help in the struggle that we're in. Thank you that you put these men as overseers over us, and please bless them in the tasks that you've given them. Give them wisdom and insight. Give them holiness and blamelessness. Grant that they may walk in your ways and that they may receive your grace so that they may lead your people to know you and to love you. Dear Father in heaven, help us as office bearers that we guard your table, that we keep from the table those who, who live in sin so that your judgment may not come down on us. Please, please be merciful to us in this, Lord, and please help us for Jesus' sake. We also wish to thank you, Lord, for those members who, who are coming to us. We have quite a few visitors We've also requested to join our church and become a member. We pray that you bless their path to membership. Grant that we're able to instruct them so that they understand the, the teaching of who you are and what you have done for us in Christ. Help them to mature in the faith. Help them to understand how rich it is to be your children. And also help them to forsake the world. And we pray, Father, that you pave the way for them to join your church. To be together with us. That we all may worship you and, and serve you faithfully. Father, thank you that you bring these people, this is your work, and we honor you for it, and we pray that you bring it to fulfillment. We also pray, Father, that, that you would bless us next week Sunday when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Please grant that we may realize and understand how rich we are in Christ, that we rejoice in, in everything that he has done for us, and that our hearts are, are filled with gratitude to you for the riches of your grace. We also wish to ask you, Father, that you help us in all the other circumstances of life. It's oftentimes the... The times when we are tempted to sin and when it gets really difficult for us 
is when we suffer and when things are difficult for us. Lord, you know that. You know the suffering that we face. You know each of our lives individually and personally. There's a lot of different things that we have to endure. There's some who, who grieve the loss of loved ones and who, who have to contend with, with loneliness and with the pain that comes with that. And we ask, Lord, that you, you be a father to your people and that you comfort them. There's others who, who face the breakdown of the body, face sickness and, and distress. They, they have to contend with, with illnesses, sometimes with waiting a long time for that. We pray that you would strengthen your people through that. There's some who struggle with, with difficulties in their minds and emotions. There's difficult events that they have to come to grips with, and that can be a very trying thing. We ask, Lord, that you, that you also give relief, that you grant stability, and that you grant the peace of Christ and the rest of Christ. Thank you that, that you're a God who, who calls us to himself, who promises that you will give rest for our soul. Father, we also pray that you be near to those who also struggle with brokenness in relationships. Sometimes that happens because of our sin, Lord. Sometimes we have conflict with others because we're proud or we're selfish or whatever the case may be. If that's the case, Lord, then help us to humble ourselves before one another and to be reconciled. At the same time, Lord, there's other times where we can make every effort to be reconciled to others, and yet they they refuse to be reconciled and there's still brokenness. We entrust these things to your throne of grace, and we ask, Lord, that you would resolve it, that you bring unity among your people, that you help us to live at peace with all men. This is your desire. And you have the ability to make it, make it happen. And so we pray that you, that you work it out. We also pray, Lord, that you be near to those who doubt. There are some in our congregation who, who struggle with the faith. We ask that you be a father to them. That you work in their hearts with your Holy Spirit. Grant that they may hear your word. And that they may read it. And that they meditate on it. And as they do so, Lord, please, through your powerful Holy Spirit, would you work faith in their hearts so that they trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. Please protect us all from drifting away from you. It's so easy to do. It's so easy to think that we're in because we're members of the church and then to become lukewarm in our faith and to drift further and further from you. Father, please hold on to us. Please help us to repent. And help us to seek your face and receive your grace. And we also pray, Father, that you be near to those who also have specific health concerns. We think of our brother John Mahoney. He's an old man and he also has, has a lot of struggles in his life, this autoimmune disorder, and he also has a number of other issues. Please be a father to him and comfort him during this time. Please continue to work in his heart with your Holy Spirit that he may continue in faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's so beautiful to hear his confession and his trust in you. We ask, Lord, that you carry him through and that you carry him on. We also pray for his wife as well, that you, that you be near to her through this time, that you also give great faith to her, that you comfort her and that you also draw her near to yourself. And we also pray, Lord, in gratitude. We want to thank you for the, for the wedding of Callan and Casey. They could be married this past Friday. What a gift that they can have each other. And we wish to ask, Lord, that you would bless them together in their marriage. We pray that you would help them to use the gifts that you've given them to encourage and help each other and to build each other up in the faith. Give them a lot of joy in one another, Father. Please grant that they may have a beautiful marriage that's filled with joy and laughter and gratitude, that's filled with faith and love and hospitality. We ask that you, if it's your will, that you also give them children, that they may receive children from you and that they can bring them up to know and love you. Please be near to, to those who are expecting children in our congregation. Be near to all those who are pregnant. 
grant a, a blessing over these pregnancies, Lord, and pray that you would, in due time, that we may receive more children from you, and that all may be well. We also pray for those who are, who are mothers of newborn children. Please be a father to them and help them. It's often quite a demanding task, and we ask that you give rest and, and that you bless the relationship, between, especially between mother and child. There can be a, a beautiful bond that gets formed, and, and that, they, that our children, that they can know of your love and of your kindness. Grant us as parents, as fathers and mothers, that we train up our children to know and love you. Help us to, to teach them to walk in holiness before you and, and help us to have a lot of joy in our families together. Father, we also wish to pray for, for those who have special needs. We want to ask for, for the members of our congregation as well who are in that place. I want to pray that they may have a blessed week together at the Eucalypt Camp, that they're able to have a lot of joy, that they can have a time of, of fellowship together, they can have a lot of, of singing and, and talking together, a lot of activities that they can enjoy your beautiful creation and that, that it would go well with them. I wish to thank you for those who have volunteered to assist with this. We want to ask you for your blessing over those who, who are helping out. We also pray, Lord, that during this time that you also give a time of rest and relief for the, for the carers, for those who normally look after their children or for, for their loved ones. We ask that they may have a blessed time with, with their families and that they can have a time of rest and reprieve. Lord, we thank you for those in our, our congregation who faithfully look after those who have special needs. It's a task that goes on and on, and it, it's something that, that they carry with them for, for the rest of their lives. Give them strength and give them energy, and grant your blessing, and grant that it may go well. And Father, we also wish to ask you that you would please bless us in the coming week. There's many members of our congregation who are traveling. We ask that you would be near to them, give them safety on the roads, give them an enjoyable time of rest and and relaxation and refreshment. Please grant that, that they can be built up and, and that in due time that they can take up their task once again. Be with the teachers and the students and give them a blessed time of holidays. Please also bless the rest of us and all the work that we have to do. Thank you, Lord, that we can bring all these things to your throne of grace. Lord, we, we often experience your grace and kindness to us. We want you to know that we feel very loved by you. And we want to, to tell you that we also love you very much. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, brothers and sisters, the collection this afternoon is for the mission work in PNG. I actually intended to, uh, to pray for some of the personnel. We have brother and sister Frank and Rachel Jansen, their children, and also Elaine Vandenboss. We've gone down to PNG to, to do a a tour through the field and to encourage those who are there. Maybe tonight, if you wish, if you could pray for them. So the collection is for the work on the, the mission field, and then after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 5, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat>
Receive now the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you, faith, give you peace. Amen.